All right, good morning, everyone. Hope you're all are having a good day. Um, thank you for joining us here at Next Level Casino Careers, a virtual event. Uh, we have four panel sessions today and four tomorrow. And today, we're here to talk about partnerships, the value, how do you assess them? How do you uh, strike up a great partnership and everything in between, partnerships 101. So um, with me today, I have Peter Arceo, the Yamaha Resort and Casino GM. Matt Balvinez, who is the Senior VP of Innovation and Analytics with Navigate. Corey Norkin, who's the VP of Global Partnerships with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Gary Border, who's the CEO of Marketing Results. But um, I purposely did not want to say their bio. I want, you, I want them to tell their story and give a little context of who they are. So Peter, if you don't mind, let's start with you. Uh, kind of share your career journey and what you do today. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, good morning, everybody. Peter Arceo, General Manager of Yamaha Resort and Casino at San Manuel. I've been in the gaming business now for 26 years and throughout my career have done a lot of work with various partners in two different states, Arizona and California. Looking forward to talking with all of you today about the topic of partnerships, which I think is a very interesting and fun topic to talk about. Um, as it relates to us here in the casino industry. So thank you and good morning. All right, thank you, Peter. And thanks for joining us today. Um, next, I wanna jump over to Matt uh, Balvance. Uh, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Hi everybody, Matt Balvance. I'm the SVP of Analytics and Innovation at Navigate. And we are a boutique consulting company um, that helps brands and media companies and properties kind of maximize their performance and revenue in the sports space. Um, I've actually been in Navigate for 14 years, was hired as an intern and very abnormal journey to be with one company for so long, but I'm having a great ride and I love it. Um, thanks for having me. Thank you, Matt. And I think your insight, you know, you said it right there, being 14 years at one company um, I'm sure you could speak to the growth, how, how you scale, and, and, and really appreciate you being on the panel today. Gary, let's jump over to you. If you could introduce yourself uh, to the panel. Certainly. Thank you. Uh, Gary Border, I uh, am the founder of Marketing Results 33 years ago. I got into the gaming industry by accident. I was a market research um, analyst. I was working for the National Restaurant Association and really thought, you know, my career was going to move forward in food and beverage. As it turned out, uh, the second day on the job at Holiday Inns, where I was hired to come in and talk about food and beverage, um, they asked me what I knew about gambling. And I said, virtually nothing, but they said, we need your analytical skills for the gambling side. We just acquired Harris. So um, I immediately went over to um, the gambling side, but three years later, they had made me the director of marketing in Atlantic City. And another four years after that, I uh, realized I could probably found a company uh, that focuses on database marketing using some of the analytics that, that we're talking about today, but to really understand the behaviors and make data-driven decisions, which was uh, in 1980, that was kind of novel. Uh, since that time, we've worked with 150 uh, casino clients, more than that actually, typically for a four-year stint uh, with each of them. And uh, uh, we get really involved in helping them put together partnerships uh, that we may manage and curate for them or partnerships that they may manage once we have them established. 
Thank you, Gary. Thank you for joining us today. And I'm sure we will dive in on those metrics, as you said, probably the need for them as we go forward. And not only just measuring the metrics, but knowing which ones work and drive value and which ones don't. So really appreciate you being part of the conversation today. And last but not least, Corey. Uh, Corey, tough loss uh, last night, but, but I'm sure we'll uh, bounce back. Uh, the VP of uh, Global Partnerships. Uh, welcome, Corey, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Good to be here. Um, would much rather be doing this than talking about uh, last night with anybody uh, right now, as you can imagine, but appreciate it. Glad to be here. Um, we obviously have a great partnership with, with you all, so uh, happy to join. Uh, my background is uh, a little bit traditional in our industry of, of sports business, which is I work through uh, starting my career in, in Kansas City with the Royals, actually another baseball team in ticket sales, and then moved my way through into what we would call premium sales, luxury suites, club seats, things like that, and found my way to the New York Jets uh, and spent some time there. And that's where I made my transition into partnerships. Uh, so was selling partnerships for the New York Jets for a couple of years before moving to Madison Square Garden. And that was uh, selling partnerships across not just sports, but entertainment as well. So uh, New York, LA, Chicago markets where they had properties. Uh, I spent some time in the agency world with uh, what was called Logadair, which is now Sport5, which is a sports marketing agency that does talent and brand consulting and property sales and all kinds of things around the world. And then about two and a half years ago, I made my way out here to LA uh, to join the Dodgers. And my day-to-day -day now is overseeing the entire global partnership portfolio. So everything from our current partners like you all to onboarding new partners into the portfolio. Um, so excited to be here and talk and share a little bit more about uh, our philosophy, how we do things and the great partnership we have with, with you all at Yamaha. Well, thank you, Corey. And, you know, I'm actually going to uh, pick back off of what you said with your background. You know, you've worked in several different markets. You've had tons of different clients. So I, I, your assessment on comparing and contrasting, you know, a partnership that, you know, is valuable versus the ones that might not be as optimal. Is there some similar threads that you've noticed throughout your career as far as maximizing value in a partnership? Yeah, I guess where I would go with that one is, is when we think about the partnerships that work best, it's, it's the ones that are collaborative. And, and that's a little cliche, but it's true. Uh, and, and you guys are a great example, right? It's, it's the partners that invest back into the partnership in a lot of ways. And so what we often try and do is make sure that partners are aware that, you know, it's not just the partnership that we lay out in front of you in the proposal and what we all agree on. It is what comes next. How does it come to life? And if a brand isn't really putting the resource behind uh, what they've invested in uh, to activate it and bring it to life, it's, it's not going to work. And so we try and, and take care of much, as much of that on the front end in terms of setting those expectations as we can. And over the course of my career, that's always the thread that has been successful, right? Is, uh, is making sure that the partners understand uh, you don't just sort of uh, agree to those assets and then move on. It's how do we then come to life? And so uh, I've been really fortunate to have uh, quite a few uh, folks on my teams over the years who help activate those partnerships and bring them to life. And uh, we've got a great team at the Dodgers that does a tremendous job in doing that with our partners. So staying out in front of the trends by, by being collaborative, but also getting out in front of it when you actually bring the partner on board is really, really important. Thank you for that, Corey. You know, I love what you said there. You know, I think that's something we can all relate to is making sure that you put the proper resources behind the partnership. Um, it, it's a full-time responsibility. Um, you know, the, the, the successful partnership to make sure you have the right people in place who are totally invested in it. And it's not just a turn on, turn off situation, especially when you want to, you know, get that value 
Uh, Gary, jumping over to you, uh, kind of the same question, um, you know, without, with your experience, is there some similar threads to what makes a great partnership? Every partnership that we work on is novel, meaning it's that none are like the others that we did before. So when we go into a partnership, uh, there's a, uh, several different things on our checklist. Number one, uh, how many partners are involved? Often it's more than just one partner uh, that is um, helping out the casino that we would happen to be working with. Um, case in point, uh, we did a partnership with Apple Computers. And when we did this partnership, it was designed to accomplish several objectives. Number one, we wanted to be able to get the iPhone in 2007 into the hands of as many players as possible. Why? Uh, Apple had a problem. They needed distribution. Uh, they had severe distribution problems. And they created lines all over the country for people to get the phones. Why did we want the phones uh, for a casino operation? Because it was the perfect form of communication. We had text, we had email, we had telephone, we had the web, all in the palm of the hands of the people that we wanted to reach. And we had another problem. The other problem was our customer was getting really, really old. Uh, and it was difficult for them to, to even drive to the casino in some cases. So we wanted to re-energize a younger audience and Apple had the solution. The problems that you encounter, you don't always know up front. And the problem that we encountered with Apple was they said, we don't wanna have anything to do with gaming. Uh, Steve Jobs at that time did not believe in gaming, did not believe gaming was a, a, a healthy prospect. So in order to satisfy their needs and be able to work through the problem, uh, we worked through the government side of the casino. As you know, tribal casinos are sovereign nations and they have their own governments. And there was a specific government group that put together uh, relationships and that's who we built our partnership with. So we were able to use the points that had been accrued so that we wouldn't compete with the local stores that were trying to sell the Apple products the only way you could get one is you had to redeem points for it. And that told us you were a pretty good gambler if you had that many points to redeem. So there was many, many moving parts uh, in this whole process. Uh, and then just to add one more wrinkle, Apple changed the price of the iPhone when it came out from 600 to 400. Uh, so we had an inventory of $600 iPhones that we had to get adjusted. Uh, that took about a month in order to work through, but we got it worked through and the promotion uh, did exactly what we thought it would. Thank you for sharing that, Gary. You know, you said something there that I think probably resonates with everyone on this panel, and that's change and innovation and when knowing to pivot and when not to. And to really maximize a partnership, I think innovation is at its core. And, and Matt, I, I kind of want to jump to you with that question. You know, you've been a, a um, navigate, you know, for a long time. I'm curious to know, because I'm sure there's people watching right now who might be interested in our industry, casino hospitality, but also just you know, have thoughts of maybe running their own business and they're curious on how to scale. Um, take us back to those early days as far as, you know, being able to get one client, two client, four client. Is there some keys to success, uh, especially in the early phase of being able to scale and prove your value ship to potential partnerships? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head with change. I think we've become a completely different uh, company today than we were five years ago, let alone 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I would say my first first day 
at Navigate, um, we we were very fresh. We I would say two thirds of our final deliverables were just based on intuition and experience and where we thought the industry was going. And one third was grounded in actual data and analytics because there just wasn't a lot of data then. But now it's completely on its head where 80% of what we maybe consult on is, is based on actual observational data that we're able to see and source about people. And then the rest is sort of that experience and intuition kind of guiding strategy. So if you think about our cell phones, right? And as Gary said, these Apple, these Apple products, they know exactly where we go, what we do and, and how we behave and who we are. And we have platforms now where we can just in one minute search how many people went through Dodger Stadium yesterday and uh, how old they were on average and where they went before, where they went after. Uh, pretty amazing stuff when you think about how to connect dots with partnerships people actually attending these events. And that's just one example of a new data resource that's out there out today. So just having to adapt and um, adapt quickly and stay nimble um, and figure out exactly what your value proposition is too. I think that's also key. Uh, we decided a few years ago that we aren't gonna be a data company ourselves. There's a ton of data companies out there that we were just gonna be strategic consultants that had to be really knowledgeable of all the data providers out there. And playing that middleman layer has been really, really beneficial for us. So we've had to adapt and change to be, to be the McKinsey of sport as opposed to um, just another data vendor. So lots of fun, lots of change. Thank you for sharing that, Matt. And you know, I lo love your point about kind of knowing your purpose and knowing your value proposition. Um, I think that's key, especially for partnerships to know, you know, what differentiates you. Um, Peter, jumping over to you, you know, I kind of got a two-part question, but I want to start here, keep it open-ended with you, because I know partnerships have played a big role in your success in your career. Just if you kind of speak to that, the role of partnerships and how it's helped you both personally and professionally. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah, I think that, you know, with partnerships, who you partner with and aligning the values of the organization that you're with, along with the partner that you are uh, talking to is extremely important. And when there is open communication, I can't tell you how many times a partnership begins well in advance of the actual deal structure or details of the, of the partnership become even visible. There's a there's a lot of discussion amongst um, the potential partner and, and the organization about what really matters and what's driving, what's driving the business, what's, what's the future look like and how can that partner be a part of that future. Um, and it's really a lot of back and forth, a lot of get, get, getting to know one another. I think an investment up front in, in that amount of work will yield huge benefits down the road, and not only that, uh, it, it makes the negotiation part of the, the 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 deal much easier. It also makes the activation of the deal much easier because you're aligned, and the assets that you discussed make sense for both parties, and that you don't feel like you're being you know talked into buying a package of assets that maybe X percent of that package doesn't make sense for you. So 
I think having that honest and open upfront communication with your potential partner is extremely important. And sometimes, uh, you know, just it means that you have to have thick skin, right? Because what you say or what they say, you may not like what they're going to hear. You may not, you may want an asset that may not be available at the price that you want, and that's okay. But as long as you know, hey, that is something we talked about. It doesn't make sense for us, but maybe in the future it could. There have been opportunities that have presented themselves in future years because of prior year conversations. I can't tell you the number of times in the middle of a deal, a particular asset comes available and it's at the right price and the right time. And it's presented to us as, hey, here's, here's what you wanted three years ago. It's available now. It's available at the price that you, you were looking at. What do you think? And we've um, been able to take advantage of that uh, several times. Conversely, um, I think that we are a good partner for the uh, people that we buy from because we, you know, put our heart and soul into activating those assets and doing it right. And um, I like to think that we're probably on the top top portion of the tiers of, of organizations that actually leverage all their assets to the fullest. Um, you know, I, I know being, being in this space for a while now, I have seen some um, uh people who have bought partnerships, significant levels of partnerships, and have not invested the appropriate resources or time into activating it. And boy, uh, to me, I just look at that and go, that's a really expensive piece of signage that, that you bought and, and you're missing out on all of the, the benefits that come along with it. It's quite simply because I don't think they knew upfront what it took to activate it and really yield the maximum ROI for that partnership. So I think through all of that, uh, professionally, I think I've uh, learned that with the right partners, it can yield extremely high ROIs, especially when you're dealing with a strong brand. You know, the Dodgers, as an example, is a really strong brand here in the state of California. Um, and, uh, and, and actually, they have a reach beyond the state, which is appealing to us as well. So there's Dodger fans around the world. Um, so for a worldwide brand, um, it's a strong partnership. Um, we've worked very hard together to uh, put together a package that works for us. And I think so professionally, it's worked out really well. The Dodgers have also been performing at a high level. So they've come through on their performance uh, on the field as well, which is, uh, is always a big plus. Um, in addition to that, though, I think for, on a personal level, I have met people in other industries through the partnership. And I think that's another thing that is oftentimes um, underutilized is the network of people that the partnership can open up for you. I have met some great, wonderful people through the Dodgers, through our other partnerships that we have. AEG is an example uh, the Honda Center and Ducks. Those two organizations are fantastic and have opened the doors for me to link up with other people who um, are partners of theirs. At a very senior level, we've talked through some opportunities. In some cases, we've collaborated on, on things that have yielded a, a big things that normally we wouldn't have access to because we don't know the right people. So leveraging the strength of that partnership can help you grow personally as well as professionally in uh, all that you do. So it's really about being having an open mind on it and looking for that opportunity where it exists. A lot of great things there, Peter. Um, you know, I, I, I have a follow-up question, but you know, since you said it, I want to jump back over to Corey because I think this ties in 
uh, Corey, from your perspective, I think a lot of people watching this who maybe might be involved in a, a sports partnership or entertainment partnership. Um, and they're all kind of fighting for the same thing, right? Depending on the deal or the structure, you get so many assets, you get so many experiences, tickets, things of that nature, but everybody wants something just slightly different or they're looking for, you know, how do I maximize that value? Um, from your perspective, you know, if, if you're talking to a marketing leader or somebody who has a partnership right now, any words of wisdom or advice to, to really make sure that they're maximizing their value and maybe some things that get missed on that side? Well, I think I would go back to a couple of things that Matt and, and Peter both said, right? It's, uh, it's first and foremost, it's the upfront communication about, you know, what they're really trying to get out of the partnership. And if, if we can be upfront and honest about those things in the beginning of the process, then we won't miss a heck of a lot once we get to the end of the process and start activating the partnership. To what Matt said earlier, we know a heck of a lot more now about our fans, about our partnerships in, in using the data that they have and other partners that we work with have. Um, you know, COVID was a, a little bit of a blessing in disguise. We went fully digital uh, in a much more rapid way. We've, we've wanted to do this. We weren't able to do this. Uh, previously, but it allowed us to now go fully digital. So everything ticket-wise, parking-wise, concession-wise is all cashless, ticketless. Uh, and so now it allows us a little bit more flexibility in terms of understanding more about the flow in our building. So as that relates to our partners, it's about understanding what they're trying to get out of it. What is the exact thing that they want to accomplish in leveraging, to Peter's point, the power of the Dodgers? And so for, for me, it's, it's certainly a lot of what they spoke about and making sure you don't miss on the upfront about what you really want to get out of it. And then to that point, again, it's it's about putting the resource back into it to make sure. Um, I think sometimes to, to a little bit of what Peter said too, uh, people get fixated on certain assets they must have uh, and, and oftentimes don't look at the totality of the picture to say, what is this partnership going to do? At the end of the day, you know, our partnerships are about leveraging the brand power, about the brand transference, right? The trust that our brand has with our fan base and wanting to leverage that. And if you can't see how that becomes the core and then you build around it, then the partnership really won't work at all. And so I think if you follow those kind of steps and make sure the upfront communication is really strong, um, I would just build off what Peter and Matt said earlier as, as those are the threads that I would say, uh, make sure they don't miss and make sure they're going to get what they want out of the partnership. Yeah, and if I can add to that a little bit. Absolutely. You know, I think as Corey says, let's let's figure out what your business need is and try to solve it with the assets that we have. And so if a brand new brand is coming into the US market and they really just want awareness, then Corey knows, oh, awareness, that's outfield wall sign. Let's get you that. Let's get you on TV. Let's get people going to your website to find out who you are. But if it's a brand that, probably is maybe is already dominating from a, an awareness perspective and they have a new initiative and they want to introduce a, a business line or improve uh, rede redemption of coupon among a certain fan base then they're probably going to have some sort of really focused social media campaign or maybe they're going to sponsor a race locally they're going to have people on site talking to runners and getting coupons in their hands and driving business so He's got a whole list of assets, and if he learns what the brand is really, really trying to do at what area of the purchase funnel, he, he kind of connects those dots and can get the perfect package. That's well said. Uh, I would also throw in there, uh, you mentioned digital and, and other things like that, right, Matt? I mean, Kyle, to that point about understanding the objectives, it's, look, 
we're not going to compete with a CPM on buying Instagram or Facebook ads or, or anything like that in terms of targeting, right? At the end of the day, what you're buying is, again, the power of the brand. And so what I often tell people is, if you're going to invest in this kind of partnership, don't do it just for efficient media dollars. Um, that's not what this is about, right? This is about leveraging the power and the excitement of the sports team that we, whether it's us or somebody else, uh, and making sure that you're leveraging it in the right way. And Matt kind of touched on all of those things where if, if we're told what that is on the upfront, we can then start catering and customizing that partnership to fit those needs. And then it goes back to everything we've just said about the upfront communication and then activating it in the right way. But I think a lot of times you'll find brands who uh, to Matt's point, or maybe jumping into the space to begin with. And they think, I've got to have my sign up there. I've got to have this digital. How many impressions am I getting? What am I doing here? That's all great support asset. But if you're not leveraging the IP and the true sort of power of, of the brand, it really won't work for you in the long run. Thank you both for that. And Corey, you said something there that really resonated with me. It was sports in particular, is that fan equity. You know, you're a hundred percent right, you know, and making sure you're valuing that. Cause if you're not, then, then you're a hundred percent right. You might be measuring the wrong KPIs and Gary, that, that makes me way over to you, you know, being the CEO of marketing results, just curious as far as what have you seen change with, and you mentioned it a little bit with the, the, the cell phone, but over the course of your career, you know, what KPIs really matter and what's changed um, from your aspects, um, as far as consumption and partnerships and things of that nature? Generally, our goals are related to our clients and what their goals are. So we have to begin with an understanding because the client is a partner, right? But then we're going to get involved with another partner with the client oftentimes. And so when you have a situation like that, you need to understand what exactly you're trying to measure and do for the client. In the case of uh, that I used earlier, uh, you know, normally I would sit down and say, okay, where are we getting value on the casino floor? Where are we increasing slot play or table play or, you know, how can we measure those metrics? In the case of the phone, it was already baked into it because a person would have to have been a $5,000 ABT player to have enough points to be able to acquire a phone. So we didn't have to worry about what happened on the back end. What was more important was that we understood what happened on the front end. Um, in other cases, you know, what we're really trying to do is, uh, and I would underscore, you know, the, the fact that I think every other panelist uh, on this talk has, has uh, made is upfront communications and detailed communications so that you get what each of the stakeholders is trying to achieve, remembering that, you know, the end stakeholder is the gambler. I mean, in a casino situation, that's uh, typically the way it works. Uh, measurement has become much more uh, refined and accurate than it ever has been before. And what we're finding is that data-driven uh, decisions are easier to make as long as everybody agrees what the metric is you're gonna use uh, uh, for that particular thing to occur. So in the case of uh, the example that I brought up earlier, we already know that the person's got a $5,000 ADT or above in order to be able to do it. In the case of other promotions, uh, we'll monitor closely uh, people coming in and responding that are participating in the promotion. So we have to work out a vehicle to be able to measure for our client, meaning the casino, and for our partner, meaning the third party that's come together to help us put together a meaningful promotion or a meaningful uh, marketing campaign that makes sense. Uh, in the end, you have to figure that a promotion or a partnership is going to have a term to it. 
And what drives that term uh, is a lot of things. In, in our personal relationships, uh, you know, you date, you get married, and then you die. <laughs> and that's the term. Uh, in other circumstances, uh, I know that we had a, a tremendous uh, campaign going on in the Gulf Coast, and then Hurricane Katrina came along and it died. <laughs> it, it happened abruptly and uh, there wasn't a whole lot we could do about it. We couldn't reconstruct the relationships with local business partners because their businesses were out of business. So I think you have to plan the phases of how are we gonna design this? How are we gonna put it together with doing the upfront work? Then how do we execute and measure? Then at what point in time do we sit down and say, hey, maybe this is gone, it's full term. And it's time to look to something else. It's time to look to something new coming up. Thank you, Gary. And thank you all. You know, the transparency is huge. And also the ability to pivot um, is something you all mentioned. You know, I want to switch gears a little bit. And Peter, jump to you. Because I imagine there's a lot of people who, whether it's, you know, a, a $10,000 partnership spend or, you know, $3 million. And I know throughout the course of your career, you know, you've, you've been the, the, the lead on kind of executing a lot of different partnerships. So whether there's a senior manager, uh, a, a VP of marketing, whomever, is there any advice you would give as far as the approach of pitching a partnership, uh, whether that be to a GM, CEO, senior leadership, just any tips to, uh, you know, there's a, there's a potential partnership here and, and I really want to have senior leadership be on board for this partnership. Uh, any things that have worked for you in your career? Yeah, Kyle, I think a lot of it has to do with how much homework um, people are willing to put in before they come and have that conversation. Um, I can't tell you the number of times, you know, here at Yamava before we don't have a hotel. And, um, you know, I've had potential partners in, in, you know, recent years come and talk as if we had a hotel and they learned that we didn't have a hotel in the conversation <laughs> And when I hear that, I, I, I immediately say, you know, boy, they didn't really do a lot of homework on who we are and, uh, and what we are doing. Or, you know, um, the other one is when I say, well, you know, have you come and seen our operation? Um, no. Well, okay, well, then how are you here pitching me on what you believe um, we need if you don't fully understand what we're about? And my favorite is, you know, when people call, contact me and go, I have a presentation for you. Um, I can help you drive more cu customers into your casino. And I go, you haven't been here before, haven't, have you? And they say, no, I haven't. I go, because if you were, then the pitch should have been, I can help you yield the players that you have coming into your building. Uh, because right, quite frankly, there are times here during the week where we don't need any more uh, customers in the building and we need to yield. And so having that research done ahead of time and even if it's a early reach out to say, hey, I just need a few minutes of your time. I think I may have some interesting assets for you, but I would like to get to know you a little bit more before I put the package together. Goes a long way. Um, it at least shows that, you know, you're open to learn about the partner and, and custom tailor uh, a, a package that would make sense for the partner. Um, that to me is an early indicator. I, I like to get a sense of who I'm going to be working with and are they going to be dynamic? Are they going to listen? Are they going to be able to help, you know, curate and, and evolve the partnership over time? Because I tell you what, 99% of the time, you don't get it right the first time. And it takes 
a lot of learning, a lot of trial and error, and the ability for both sides to be flexible enough to, to modify that along the way um, is how we get better. Um, so I think, you know, if, uh, to answer your question directly, Kyle, I think that would be the biggest tip for someone um, approaching a potential partnership is to come prepared. That's great. Thank you, Peter, for sharing that. Um, I, I kind of want to throw this out to the group um, because I think there's a lot of people who might be in the business of new acquisition sales. Um, you know, any tips on, you know, Matt, I'll start with you, you know, uh, on acquisition. And if somebody works in a sales job or they're trying to get a new client, um, and any tips you would give as far as, you know, what works versus what doesn't and what you've learned throughout your career? Yeah, I think kind of two, two parts to this. First at Navigate, we've actually, again, due to the pandemic, kind of really fast forwarded our thinking and especially in sales, we don't really have a sales team anymore. We rely on thought leadership from our most senior people and we put information out through podcasts, through blogs, through strategic partnerships with PR departments across the world. And so that's kind of flipped the switch to where now we're getting more inbound inbound calls and asked to be very consultative and have our research done on the front end. It's almost like with a new client, we do some research in advance to Peter's point to kind of already speak their language, already know their business problems and come with solutions to solve it. And it's almost like our first scoping call is our kickoff call. And so for us, it's really changed. But I think for companies that rely on, on salespeople, I think for, I would, you know, I'd be remiss to not talk about, again, all the data and research that's, that's available out there. And so if you're able to find a syndicated database just to see who the customer profile is of uh, a brand maybe you're talking to for a par partnership, that goes a long way, just knowing who their target, who, who their target is, and then comparing it to your own audience and saying, look, if your objective is to, to reach the same people, a partnership with us is a home run. Um, but what's great about data is that it can also kind of be spun to the reverse story, right? If you find that the target, uh, you're not the right target for their property, then your opportunity becomes, do you wish you could reach new audiences that you weren't reaching before to try to sell your product to a different demo? Well, we're your, we're your answer, right? So you can, as long as you've got the data there and some thoughtful thinking and strategy to back it up, I think new accounts will be pretty impressed. And right now, I mean, I'm sure Peter can attest to this too. For every one conversation he has that's impressive to him, he probably has 10 that aren't impressive. And so it's pretty easy to stand out with quality research and strategy and just um, you know, showing that you're a cut above everybody else. Thanks, Matt. You know, I think there's a lot of helpful information there. Uh, the proof is in the pudding, you know, so leading with data, but then also being able to back up that data. And then over time, you know, pe people will, will come on board. Gary, uh, curious to know from your perspective, same question, you know, if somebody works in a more sales related job or, you know, is looking at scaling business or new acquisition, any tips that have worked for you uh, in that area? 
there's two things that we think about. Obviously, um, my focus is very intent on casino gambling. And uh, the others on the panel have a much broader perspective because they work in many industries. Um, in our particular case, uh, trust is paramount. And in order to earn that trust, in order to have a client that's going to come on board and say, yeah, we want you here for years, uh, not just for a campaign, uh, they have, you have to see the whites of their eyes. You have to be in front of them. You have to uh, be present. To Peter's point, you need to understand how their casino operates because every casino is different. And the difference is the mix that they create on the slot floor or the table games or the types of hotels they do or do not have. And then the competitive mix and then the customer mix. So a customer from Iowa is quite a bit different than a customer from Florida. So you really need to have to grasp what's going on. And then when you make that presentation, demonstrate the fact that you really understand their business and that you can differentiate from what others might be saying when they come through the door. Uh, it's worked exceptionally well for us, but we don't uh, do a lot of mass lead generation. That's not the type of thing that uh, marketing results is about. So it's very focused. It's very personal. It's very direct and trust is paramount. Thank you for that, Gary. You know, I, I think that's a perfect opportunity to, tell people, you know, because there's people who might be interviewing with us today. There's people who might be doing our career counseling sessions that we have available as part of this next level casino careers events. And I think this applies to an interview. What, what you guys are all saying is that transparency and doing your homework. Uh, that's huge. I know me personally, you know, when, when I'm asking the, when I'm interviewing somebody, I want to see that they've explored what we're about, where we can get better. Um, and if they haven't done any homework and know nothing about us, then that's a huge red flag. So I really appreciate you guys providing that insight because not only is that valuable just to partnerships, but just in career development in general. Um, I have a question here and you guys have kind of hit it, but um, and Corey, I'm going to send this one to you. Um, and please feel free if you're watching to send questions in the Q&A. We will uh, sprinkle that into the chat here today. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, communication and uh, being transparent, but this is digging a little deeper. Are there specific questions is there one quick key question or maybe a few key questions to ask a potential partner to help ensure alignment with visions or goals? So, so maybe more some granular examples of specific question or questions uh, uh, in that realm. So Corey, I'm gonna start with you if you don't mind. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna dodge this one, but what I'm gonna say is, is I don't think there are particular questions that you can say are a set list you should follow. I think to what everybody's been talking about, if you do your homework and your research about the company and even just the person that you're talking to, you'll start to formulate what you should start digging at. But at the end of the day, you wanna get to the root of what, what everybody's trying to do, which is make money. How do you make money? And, and you don't need to ask it that directly, but there are ways to ask it based on the company, the category, who you're talking to, what their goals are, um, asking them how they're measured, right? If, if you're talking to a marketer, what, what are the objectives you've set forth for yourself this year beyond partnership, right? Um, you want to understand what they're doing from an overall marketing perspective. Partnership is one slice of the overall pie, right? It, it's not the entirety of what they're doing on a day in and day out basis. As much as guys like me want to think that all Peter thinks about is his partnership with the Dodgers, Peter's got way more on his plate than just us. And so uh, I think recognizing that and understanding that will also then help you dig deeper with them. But, but more importantly, I think um, everybody has touched on this too, is listening. 
and following up those questions to dig deeper with the person you're talking about. So I wouldn't say there are specific things that I would kind of list out uh, in terms of what you should be asking. But more importantly, if somebody says something, follow up on it. Don't just, don't just let it lie there and then move on to the next topic. If you're following up and digging, uh, you're in a good situation if you run out of time. If you've set a 30-minute introductory call and you run out of time, great. If you've done that, they're more than more times than not going to take your next call and say, okay, let's get on another 30-minute call. That was great. We're doing a lot of digging. And that upfront work, back to what we said earlier, will really help in building that trust and really allow the salesperson, whoever's on each end of this, to get to know each other in a deeper way. So I wouldn't go with specific questions. I would say more from a theme. It's do your homework, make sure you're asking about the, the core issue of what they're doing, and then really make sure that you're following up and listening as opposed to just plowing through a set list of questions because that's not going to work as it relates to building that trust. Thank you for that. You know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. This question just came in and Peter, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, what are some tips for continuing to nurture a strong, successful partnership, uh, specifically probably over the long haul. Any, any thoughts there? Yeah, you know, um, I, like to, um, I like to stay in touch with partners um, in, an, in, a, uh, in, in a more personal way and professional as well. But what I like to do is, you know, when, as an example, something will pop up Maybe I'll read a headline on, on a team or whatever, and I'll just jump on the phone and I'll text, text it. You know, like, hey, Corey, I just saw this on the, on the news. What's going on, man? Looks positive. Everyone's excited. And it's the little things like that that keep the relationship going. I mean, if I waited for every opportunity, I mean, gosh, I mean, it took me how long before I accepted a, a social invite to actually say hello? I mean, I think it took the golf tournament before we actually connected, right, Corey? And it, I mean, it was a year. And, uh, but in that year, I would send him emails, he would send me emails or text messages, and we would stay in touch. We kept the partnership relationship going. Uh, same thing with Gary. I mean, Gary and I, you know, we have some, some uh, personal hobbies that we share that we enjoy, you know, and Gary will say, hey, look at this uh, nice bottle of wine that I just uh, tried. And it's uh, kind of, uh, you know, from a, a relatively unknown vineyard, you may be interested in it. And I'll go, hey, wow, that's interesting. I don't think I can find that on the shelf. But then it turns out uh, our beverage director, actually, this is a great example of a great partnership, uh, contacted our beverage director, told him to reach out to the vineyard. They typically don't sell to restaurants or casinos, but because of the relationship that the beverage director formed with the family of the vineyard, we were able to get a small allocation for our collection in the, in the, the Pine Steakhouse. So that was a, actually a great example of how some random text from Gary when he was traveling about a really great bottle of wine that he had yielded a benefit to our organization because we were able to make contact with this random business that happened to be aligned with what we were doing because I, I told Gary, hey, we're building our collection at the steakhouse. Thank you for the tip. And then a month later, I said, Gary, we're actually going to have it. And Gary said, if you get it, I'm coming out and I'm going to go and, and have dinner at the steakhouse. That's how good it is. And so it's, it's those kinds of, you know, impromptu conversations and contact. And, you know, we're human beings at the end of the day. And so to nurture a, a relationship means that you don't wait until, oh gosh, of course, I'm going to get the call. We made it to the playoffs and my phone's blown up and there's Peter asking, you know, can we buy additional blocks for the casino? Oh, he only contacts me when he wants that. 
you know, I think having that relationship throughout the year where we can um, remain in contact, stay in touch, understand that we are here for each other and can help develop and grow the business. Um, you know, Matt's uh, the owner of Navigate, AJ and I, he's notorious. He, he sends me random texts all the time. And a lot of them are on completely off the wall topics, but that's the way AJ is. And I appreciate that because AJ makes me think about things differently. He sends me topics about stuff that I probably never would have found unless I was, you know, surfing the web for random topics. And it's those kinds of things that make, make us all better as human beings. And I appreciate that. And so when we have these conversations in between official business meetings, it really goes a long way for, for the relationship. Thank you for sharing that, Peter. Um, you guys kind of all nodded out of your head. I think bringing the human elements into the partnerships is such a huge aspect uh, for many reasons. Um, Matt, I'll jump to you on that same question. Um, as far as you know, connection over the long haul and really nurturing partnerships um, as a, a data guy at its core, um, you know, any tips that you have there? You can you could say it, Kyle. You can call me a nerd, and that's fine. Um, but no, the so just to touch on an earlier question too about questions that we ask our potential clients to help. The one we really like is what keeps you up at night because I think it's broad, it hits on what their challenges are and sets the tone for we wanna help you, we wanna make your life easier. And so I think that's always a good one to start with. Um, and then in terms of um, keeping that relationship alive, I like to say, I, like, I have this saying, people are people too. And so um, it's tongue in cheek, right? Because obviously we know people are people too, but I think we forget when it's just people's name behind the other end of an email or a text message or um, a phone call, right? I think people have interests and if you can um, help those flourish or help them solve their business problems when it's unexpected, I think those things go a long way. And one tangible quick tip for my biggest clients, what I do is I set a bi-weekly standard meeting where every Wednesday at five, right? I'm, we're having a Zoom call that's maybe 15, 30 minutes, and I'm just asking, learning what's going on with them. They're asking what's going on with me. And us knowing that that's coming kind of forces us to sort of prepare a couple of thoughts to remain top of mind. And sometimes that gets canceled. Sometimes there it lasts an hour, right? So the fact that it's there and, it, and it's something that we're accountable for, I think, helps a ton. So those would kind of be my top tips. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. And, and Gary, I also want to ask the same question to you because you mentioned it earlier that, you know, your, your guys' business philosophy isn't, you know, mass acquisition. And on that, you know, it's it's one partnership at a time, if I heard correctly, and, and just really providing value and that leads to greater things. So throughout your career, any tips uh, that, that you would give as far as nurturing a great longer uh, partnership? Well, yes, in the sales process, in the, the relationship building process, uh, we do something within our company internally. Uh, we get together for meetings on an annual basis, but we also get together for other meetings more often than that. But during that annual meeting, I started asking the question 10 years ago, what would you say to somebody that you just jumped on the elevator with? Let's say you jumped on the elevator with Steve Wynn or the, 
possibly a different, better example, but let's say you jumped on the elevator with Peter and he didn't know who you were. You got five floors and then that door is going to open. What would you tell him? And what we tried to do is just really refine that message in that way uh, so that we knew specifically what each person within the organization was talking about. Matt hit on something that's fundamental to us. Uh, for the last 30 years, uh, we have scheduled a meeting with every single client every single week. And we go over everything that we're doing, everything we're working on to make sure that our goals are aligned and our activities are aligned so that the people, our behavior basically, is promoting the cause of the client. And so we try and keep very close to that and make sure that we understand it. In regards to your question about questions, um, I like to ask people about their successes. Uh, if, if we can get that far in the conversation, oftentimes it's doing a, an initial sales call or an initial call that, that for a meeting that's been put together, you don't necessarily start there, but I need to understand how they view success how they measure success so we can figure out if there's a way to replicate that success on a faster basis. And by understanding that, and by the way, everyone's is different, uh, but by understanding that, then we have a focus that we can move toward and probably get more done than we would have otherwise. Thanks for sharing that, Gary. You know, so many good things there. Um, I like, I love the elevator example and just kind of knowing your intention, kind of knowing what's the high level pitch and make sure everybody knows that um, there's, a, there's a lot of good insight there. You know, I want, once again, if you have questions and you're watching, uh, please feel free to type those in. But, you know, these last 10 minutes here, I want to pivot a little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of people who just, you know, our whole position is just to make people better, grab insights that maybe they can apply to their career and take their career to the next level. So. Corey, if you don't mind, I want to start with you, you know, throughout your career, you know, what are some lessons learned? Or if you were to go back, right, your younger self, knowing what you know now, and, you know, what kind of advice would you give um, as far as the keys to your success? Um, let, me, let me answer in kind of two ways. The first thing I would say is going back, I think you alluded to earlier, but um, I think first and foremost, if somebody's looking for the next step, um, externally from where they are, even internally, but, or, or, or applying for a job or interviewing for a job, um, especially if it's in a sales role or a business development type role, you should treat that the same way you would treat a role, a, a, an initial call with a client, right? One of the things that I always find to be really interesting and successful is not just when they're asking about me personally, but when they're asking me those same questions that I'm asking potential partners, which is what keep Matt's point, what keeps you up at night? Uh, what are you looking for in, in the role to fill? Where, where are your weaknesses? Why do, why do you need this role filled? I think first and foremost, it's about understanding what the company needs and why they're filling this role. I think oftentimes candidates just want to talk about themselves and their successes. And a lot of times uh, that falls on deaf ears because resumes can look so similar. So the first thing would be if you're out there and you're looking or you want to take the next step, make sure that whoever you're taking that next step with, you're treating no different than you would treat a potential client in terms of understanding what they need and how you might be a fit. Cause you may not be, and it may not be a fit for you. Um, so that would be one thing. I think in my career, it's, it's, it's the old cliche, but um, you know, Matt knows this, Peter knows this, you, everybody knows this, you know, when you get into a certain industry, it ends up being very small. Uh, it is very uh, incestual. There's a lot of crossover with people you've worked with previously who've worked with other people. 
uh, it's really important to maintain those relationships and not burn bridges. And I think it goes back to what was said earlier about everybody's human, right? Everybody's got other things going on in their life outside of work. Everybody's got other things happening and understanding that you're not always going to be best friends with everybody that, that, you're, that are in your organization, um, but making sure that you're professional and understanding that that relationship at some point, somewhere down the line, uh, is going to come into play. I've seen that time and time again. Um, and it's, it's proven to my benefit. I've now worked for people that I worked for in previous jobs, uh, and other new people that now spawn into other, other industries, other markets, so on and so forth. So really maintaining those relationships you build, uh, with those folks you work with is important. And much like what Peter said, that might be in small ways, a text message here or an email there, or a quick phone call, uh, on your drive into work, those kinds of things matter. Um, and so maintaining those relationships becomes really important over the course of your career. And that's been a huge part of my success. Corey, you said something there that really resonated because we're actually just talking about it at the end of another panel. On our last panel, we did a deep dive on mentors and, you know, finding those. And afterwards we talked about, you know, it doesn't always have to be a mentor. It can be the person right next to you. You know, don't underestimate every connection, everybody you work with, because five, 10 years from now, you don't know that person could be offering you a job. Um, so just making the most out of the connections that you have currently is a good first step, especially for people who might be a little more introverted, um, because you never know over the course of time. Uh, like you said, a lot of industries, they're, they're smaller than you think. Um, Peter, jumping over to you, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who look at you who might just be starting out in the casino hospitality industry and think, man, I really would like to advance, possibly be a GM one day. Um, you know, any thoughts on tips, you know, lessons you've learned now, looking back, uh, any advice you would give to somebody just starting in their career? Yeah, great question, Kyle. Um, you know, I started out in the casino um, industry as a dealer. I started out as a blackjack dealer, never in my wildest dreams when, um, when I was a dealer that I imagined that I would become the general manager of a, of a large casino. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is patience and uh, you have to be patient. You know, I, like I said, back then, I, I didn't even know where I was gonna go. I wanted to move up, but I didn't know where. Um, and so the result of that and getting back to, to I think Gary's uh, elevator speech comment, um, I was open and told my story to whomever would listen as far as here's who I am. And I just wanted to progress. And they would say, well, what do you, wh what's your next career move? And I would say, I don't know. And I was being honest, you know, um, as a, as a young person starting out my career, I honestly didn't know what I asked from them was I'm going to work very hard. And if you see a talent that I have that you may, that you think may benefit the organization, I'd be willing and open to try it. And so because I was uh, so forthcoming and open to doing that, it really allowed me to not only, uh, you know, I started out in table games. I wound up for a period of time in IT, believe it or not. So I had a stint in IT, which is where I learned a lot about marketing analytics and databases um, just through happenstance that wasn't planned. Um, and that's where I ran into Gary. As a matter of fact, Gary and I met when I was in, IT, in the IT role 20, I think it was 23 years ago, maybe 22. And Gary was just awesome source of, of information. I mean, Gary taught me how to analyze databases, how to segment, what it means to segment and why you did certain things. And at the time I wasn't a marketer and uh, you know, I'm sure Gary never thought that this IT guy was going to be 
in marketing at some point, but then I, I crossed over to marketing by way of database marketing because I had built that foundation of analytics and technology and operations. And so having that ability to stay nimble, open and patient, you'll eventually find uh, talent you know, where your talents are, are best suited and telling people your story along the way is beneficial so that they know what you're aspiring to be. And when they see opportunities, they'll come to you and say, this may not be a good fit for you, but you may be interested in taking a look at it based on X, Y, and Z that you told me. And when people come to me and say, Peter, I don't know what to do in my career. How do I fast track it? I go, well, take the word fast track out of there and focus more on who you are and what you're good at. And then the rest will come in due time. Um, that's at least my belief um, in, in uh, growing your career. Um, and along the way, surround yourself with great people. When you surround yourself with great people, good things happen. Thank you, Peter. Uh, so something big you said there is patience. And that makes me want to jump over to Matt. You know, Matt being in the, in the, in the same company for many years, um, you know, looking at your career, if you were just to give tips, um, looking back, um, any keys to success that you have, um, you know, and with it, you would say to, to somebody in a similar position. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I get asked this a lot and I have sort of four go-to kind of quick tips. Um, the first, obviously something we've hit on a ton, but is still really important is just to do your research. There's so much out there, learn who's talking to you, learn about the people in your company, what your company's done what they haven't done, what they can do, share things you find with people that are important stakeholders and just be a researcher. Everybody, we've always said everybody's in sales. Well, I think everybody's also in research if you want to succeed. So that's something to think about. I think number two is just to diversify your life. You know, don't just fall into a job because that's your job description and show up every day and do it and then go home, right? You need to network, learn about other departments, try out working for other departments, just show interest and um, maybe see what else you like about a company. Don't, if you, if you find yourself showing up, sitting down, doing your work, getting up, going home consistently, I don't think that's going to last. So diversify your life is, is big. I think third is just to be nice to everybody all the time. We've talked about how small the worlds are and how worlds will collide and you'll run into other people you'd be shocked how many people out there are not nice. And you can pick up on that within the first probably 10 seconds of talking to them. Um, and it just amazes me that people are successful without being nice. We've had times where we've started a client kickoff call and realized that they were not going to be a good client to work for and just said, it's not going to work. And we don't want your money because we're not going to enjoy working for you. Um, those are really fun conversations. And I know our CFO doesn't like us saying goodbye to money, but it's bigger than that, right? It's about who you work with and just life's too short to grind on a terrible client. So just be nice to everybody. And last, I think you, you should make yourself indispensable by mastering some sort of a tool. For me, as a youngster, I really I mastered Excel when it first came out. And so I worked for a company of 300 people. And within the first week, I was the Excel go-to guy. So everybody from every department came to me for help about how to do certain things, made me indispensable the first week. And everybody told me we could never lose you. And I was like, this is great. I haven't even really done anything. I just 
use knowledge I already had to help other people. So master something that can make you indispensable would be my fourth tip. So many good things there, Matt. Thank you for sharing, especially, you know, the be kind, diversify yourself. I think a lot of people don't because they get comfortable, right? And being able to push yourself into areas you might not want at the end is just going to make you better uh, and a better chance of advancement. So uh, thanks for that. And obviously be kind. Um, Gary, uh, what about you as, as far as tips you would provide looking back on your career? What's kind of been your tips to success? When I started in the business, uh, I was really focused on research and then evolved into database marketing. But in understanding the principles, the mathematic principles that underlie research, what you realize very quickly is database marketing is an awful lot like research with one exception. And that is that in research, you promise the respondent anonymity. You're never going to tell anyone who, who they were. You'll tell them their demographics, but you won't tell them where they work. In database marketing, it is the polar opposite. <laughs> if we get your information, your database, we're using it, and we're using it as much as we can. Uh, that was probably the only real shift in focus in my career in the last 40 years. Um, I believe, and I don't think this is in conflict, Matt, I, but I believe that when you find that thing that you love, you have to do it over and over and over again. And when you get 10,000 hours, which I read some other uh, author had penned, you can become an expert. Um, the other thing is never, ever, ever give up. Don't stop what you're doing. And that means you got to take a lot of rejection. That means you're going to be in front of people and they're going to tell you, I don't like what you got or my brother does what you do or something but you just have to keep on keeping on to make sure that you get your message across. If it's a bad message, then you may not succeed. But if it's a good message and something you really love, then there's a good chance you will succeed. Thank you, Gary. Um, great. That, that was great. You know, having thick skin, uh, being resilient. Um, just, I want to thank all of you guys, you know, I think you provided a lot of value here today, not only just on partnerships, but just general career advice. Um, so, so I want to take this opportunity to thank the panelists. I want to thank all of you for attending. I want to remind you that we still have some sessions later today and also tomorrow. So hope you enjoyed this session. Uh, look forward to, to the ones in the future. I want to thank the panelists again, and hopefully you found value in this session and I hope you all have a good day. Thank you.